Hey, everyone, and welcome to this joyous wedding podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Andrea Pertel, and I am a full-time professional wedding officiant located in New Jersey. Over the past nine years, I have had the pleasure to officiate over a thousand weddings. In my weekly podcast, I will share with you some wedding tips. I will have a question and answer segment, and I will share some wedding stories. I would love to hear from you. Contact me with your questions, your advice, and wedding stories. They can be heartfelt stories, comical stories, or even the funny wedding fails. Did you have a, oh no, she didn't moment, or oh no, he didn't moment? I want to hear about it. Was there something you did that you regret, or something that you didn't do that you regret? Do you have advice and tips to share? Contact me at Andrea at thisjoyous.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-A at T-H-I-S-J-O-Y-O-U-S dot com to share on my next episode. Remember, I will never share your email information or spam you. I will only share your stories and advice. Okay, on today's episode, we will take a look at the traditional flow of a wedding ceremony. So first of all, how do you know where to put what element? What words go where? What do you say first? So really, in a wedding ceremony, any wording that is advice about love or marriage goes before the I do's. Uh, So any poems or readings, um, anything like that that talks about what love is about or remember how to treat each other or what marriage is really about goes before the I do's, before the vows. And then any wording that reflects what we wish for you going forward in your marriage, in your life together as a married couple, any prayers or blessings on your journey forward as a married couple, go after your ring exchange. Of course, many readings and prayers can be considered either and can go anywhere they flow best. So, As we look at the traditional flow of a ceremony, please keep in mind that each element can be religious or non-religious. You should be able to work with your officiant to have your ceremony reflect you guys as a couple. Maybe you prefer a completely non-religious ceremony or one that's more spiritually centered. It can be interfaith and include different religious customs or cultural customs. A good officiant should have the resources to write your ceremony as you desire and include these special elements, along with some personalization. Okay, and also, all ceremonies can reflect same-sex couples. In fact, I want to be sure to say that everything we talk about on this podcast, all the examples of wording that I give, applies to all couples, Um, brides and grooms, two brides, two grooms, love is love, and I have always supported this. So when I give examples, please remember that I am including everyone. Okay, so once all the the guests have been seated, the officiant will say, 
as we begin shortly, I would like to remind those of you with cell phones to please silence them at this time. Thank you. Then the music begins and the processional starts. The wedding party enters and takes its place. Then the music changes and the bridal music begins. At this point, the officiant will ask the guest to please stand for the bride. The bride is escorted by her father or her mother or both parents or a special person. When the bride and her escort are about three feet from in front of the officiant, they pause. The officiant usually, you know, kind of prompts them to pause. And then you wait for the music to fade. And the first element is the participation of parents. So at this point, the officiant may ask, who has the honor of presenting this bride? Or who gives this woman to be married to this man? Or who supports this couple? And um, then if it's the dad, he can say her mother and I do, or I do, or together they can say we do. Or uh, if it's a special person, they can say on behalf of all who love her, I do. Uh, Whatever they would like to say. And then the father or the escort will give the bride a kiss. If she has a veil over her face, he lifts it up over her head, gives her the kiss. The groom steps forward and the father and groom shake hands. Sometimes the father will put the bride's hand in the groom's hand. The father takes his seat or the escort takes his seat and the bride hands her bouquet to her maid of honor. Of course, a good officiant prompts you, easily prompts you to do all of these. It's not something you have to remember. If needed, the maid of honor fixes the bride's dress, and the bride and groom stand facing each other. They do not they want to hold hands, but they don't want to have their backs to the guests. So again, your officiant will prompt you on how to stand. Um, and then the officiant will invite all your guests to be seated. So the second element is the greeting. This is when the officiant welcomes all the guests to this beautiful day. And then they often thank the guests. And and many times I include an acknowledgement of loved ones who have passed as part of the opening. And they are here with us in spirit. It's a nice way to extend the greeting to those who, who have passed, loved ones who have passed, or maybe there are loved ones who couldn't attend. And so you acknowledge the ones who couldn't make the journey to be with us today. Um, And then the invocation is the next element. This is the beginning, if this is for a religious ceremony, this is the beginning prayer that invokes or asks God to be present and bless this service. For non religious ceremonies, it's traditionally a poem about love and marriage. So a nice addition to add to the beginning of a ceremony would be uh, a rose ceremony for the mothers. This ceremony is a nice way to include the moms, especially if the fathers got to walk the bride down the aisle. I will um, post examples of this wording and all this wording on my Facebook and Instagram page. 
So I also, if I have something personal uh, to say about the bride and groom, if we personalize their ceremony about how they met, why they fell in love with each other, or we have any kind of personalized story to tell, it goes at the beginning. And then the next element is the charge to the couple. This is addressed directly to the couple. It is preparation for the vows they are about to take. So this is wording of advice. And then the next element is called the betrothal, the pledge, or the declaration of intent. It's the I do's. Now this, by law, has to be said. Actually, in the state of New Jersey and most states, there's only two things that need to legally be said in order for you to be married. And they are the question, the I do's, and then the pronouncement. And that makes you married. <laughs> so the I do's uh, is the declaration of intent. This is where you declare in front of all of your loved ones, your witnesses, that your intent to marry is a matter of your own free will. It really goes back to olden times where the officiant is asking you if you're doing this of your own free will. And this is where they say, Mary, do you take John to be your husband? Uh, John, do you take Mary to be your wife? And then the next uh, element is the vows. So the officiant will um, say, now that you have declared your intentions, I invite you to share your vows with one another. So the vows are the promises, the pledges that you make to each other to give yourselves to each other for as long as you both shall live. So I think we're all uh, pretty familiar with the traditional vows that you repeat after the officiant. I take you to be my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish for as long as we both shall live. And nowadays, there are a lot of other vows that you can repeat after the officiant, or of course, many couples like to write their own vows. I find that a lot of couples like to stick with those traditional vows and then they might uh, have some special wording that they have written to each other. After the vows comes the exchange of rings. So in a religious ceremony, this starts with the blessing of, of the rings. The officiant might ask the best man, or if a ring bearer or somebody else has the rings, may I please have the rings. The officiant gets the rings in her hands and says, let us begin with a prayer of blessing upon these rings. Uh, and then it is the words that um, describe the meaning of the rings. Um, and of course, if you have chosen a non-religious ceremony, you simply take out that blessing. So the rings are a symbol of pledge of the, your pledge of faithfulness and fidelity. It is symbolized by the unending circle of the ring. It is the outward sign of the promises you just made to each other. So the officiant will hand you the ring and you will have chosen special wording you would like to say to each other as you place the rings on each other's fingers. And you usually repeat the wording after the officiant. So for example, the officiant will say, oh, John, will you take this ring and place it upon Mary's finger? And as you do, repeat to her after me these words. I give you this ring as I give you myself with love and affection, wear it in peace always. 
and then the officiant will hand the other ring to Mary and so on. So after the ring exchange, if you are going to add in any kind of unity ceremony, such as a unity candle, unity sand, a wine ceremony, a rose ceremony, um, any of those types, it goes here. I, I will tell you, my favorite is the love letter and wine box ceremony. I, I will um, talk about this in an upcoming podcast, all the unity ceremonies, but I find that one to be so beautiful. It is where the couple each writes a love letter to each other that talks about uh, why they fell in love with each other in this special day, and they've sealed it in an envelope. And um, they put it in a box. Usually you get the box engraved with the date of your wedding on it. And they put it in a box with a bottle of wine and put a lock on it. And it is a time capsule. On every anniversary, they sit, open the wine, have a glass of wine together, and read the love letters and remind themselves of why they, they came together in that beautiful day. They write another love letter and put that one in the box. And every year they do this. And so throughout the years, you get a, a love letter that follows your, your journey of life together. What a beautiful thing to look back on. So that's why that's my favorite. Okay, so onward. If, after that, the next will be a prayer or a blessing. Um, so if it's a religious ceremony, now is the time that you say a prayer that ask God to bless this new marriage. Um, for non-religious, it will be a poem of blessing or love of marriage. And then the pronouncement. And the only other thing by law that the officiant has to say. So this is when the officiant pronounces the couple to be married and the union is sealed with a kiss. And after the kiss and everybody claps, there will usually be some closing words, or a benediction. Uh, um, that's for a religious ceremony. The closing words are usually short and sweet. It gives your photographer time to get from the kiss down to the end of the aisle. And then the officiant will prompt the maid of honor to hand the bride her bouquet. The bride and groom will face their guests, and the officiant will say, it is with my pleasure to introduce to you for the first time as husband and wife, for the first time as a married couple, Mary and John. And the recessional music begins, and the newlyweds walk back down the aisle, followed by the best man and the maid of honor and the rest of the wedding party, couple by couple. The officiant will invite the first row of the bride's family, her immediate family, to leave, and then the first row of the groom's family to leave. The rest of the guests will then leave on their own. So this is kind of important because it's about photo opportunities. If the bride's father walked her down the aisle, the photographer did not get a shot of the bride's parents walking together back down the aisle. Of course, how you ask the officiant to invite everybody to walk back down the aisle will depend on your family dynamics. So sometimes people are divorced or remarried, and a good officiant will easily walk you through that and figure it out. So looking back on this flow of a ceremony, I do want to say 
I love it when couples add readings to be read by the mothers, a guest, uh, somebody special to come up and do a reading. Depending on what reading they choose, that's where I put it in the ceremony. If it's words of advice or a blessing, goes either at the beginning or after the rings. So um, I will post these on my Facebook page and my Instagram page. My Facebook is This Joyous Wedding Podcast. My Instagram is This Joyous Podcast. So check those out for a list of the flow of a traditional ceremony. And um, so, so then at the very end, after everybody walks back down the aisle and the parents have uh, an immediate family has left, then uh, the officiant will tell everybody go and enjoy a fabulous uh, cocktail hour. So at, as the couples leave, walk back down the aisle, they should know where they are going. Are they going right to the bridal suite to have a couple of moments alone? Are they going right out for photos? Or have they chosen to make a receiving line? So the pros of a receiving line are the couple gets to to greet and thank everyone. And now they do not have to worry about going table to table during their reception. The cons of a receiving line they can be time-consuming. Many couples want to have a moment to themselves. If doing this, it is best, if possible, to have your banquet manager or assistant nearby to keep the guests moving, you know, politely guiding them into the cocktail hour. I do want to say many venues do not allow receiving lines if they need to turn the ceremony room around quickly. In other words, you know, if your ceremony room is going to be turned into the reception room while your guests are at the, the cocktail hour, then a receiving line's not going to work. But uh, here's my pro tip. <laughs> if you don't have a receiving line, it is really important to go table to table to thank everyone. You know, couples can get caught up on how much they expect each guest to gift them. Some feel they should basically pay for this reception with their gifts, calculate it by plate. And oftentimes, guests have also paid for hotel rooms and maybe even traveled from afar. They've definitely bought dresses, maybe paid for babysitters, not to mention the simple fact that they joined you on this special day. So, this tradition of thanking the guests in person, either by a receiving line or the couple going quickly table to table should not be overlooked. I can tell you by personal experience, um, the last wedding I attended as a guest, the couple who were in their upper 20s, maybe early 30s, they did not do a receiving line, nor did they go table to table and thank anyone. They didn't acknowledge um, the guests, uh, there in any way in person. So, and I know the younger generations may consider it old fashioned and not particularly, um, like this tradition, but it, it, it's, it shouldn't be overlooked. I think that by not saying thank you is, uh, remembered. And it can kind of sting when people have gifted you so much. 
Um, I would like to share with you now a few of the most common questions asked. So uh, one of the most common is, is a rehearsal and rehearsal dinner necessary? No. <laughs> Save money by not having a rehearsal and rehearsal dinner. You can choose to do a walkthrough with your banquet manager and wedding party an hour before your ceremony. This ensures everyone is in attendance. Or if you are on a budget but really want the tradition of a rehearsal and rehearsal dinner, have a rehearsal lunch or brunch instead. Have a buffet. And if you're serving alcohol, limit it to beer or wine. What side of the altar do we stand on? Traditionally, as you face the altar, the groom stands to the right, the bride on the left. This tradition goes back to olden times when the groom had to keep his sword hand free in case someone tried to kidnap his bride-to-be. See the movie Braveheart. It happens in there. <laughs> it's also for these reasons that the groom's best man was not his best friend, but his best fighter, his best warrior. We do change the sides if it is an outdoor ceremony on the beach and the wind is blowing from right to left. We don't want the bride's hair and veil blowing into her face, so we switch it so the wind is blowing her hair back, um, you know, like the model fan, <laughs> or if her dress has a special embellishment. If it's a same-sex wedding, I simply ask the couple if they have a preference. Many times they do. One will say they have a good side. <laughs> the next common question is, are place cards a must? No, <laughs> you should have, you should assign where everyone will sit. In fact, guests expect this, but a good way to save money is to simply have a seating chart as the guests enter the reception room. Uh, chalkboards are very nice, or there's some beautiful glass boards that are nice to write on. Another question is, do we need to hand out ceremony programs? No, save your money. This is not necessary. I think it is nice to have a program chart, just like the seating chart. Use a decorative chalkboard or glass whiteboard uh, and put it as people enter the ceremony room or ceremony area. And they'll see all the elements of your ceremony there. And if there's anybody doing a special reading, you can have their names up there and what the reading is. This is another budget-friendly and green option as well. Another question is, are we supposed to tip our vendors? Yes. <laughs> Most couple put tips in thank you cards and have the best man hand them out to the vendors, the photographer, the DJ, the officiant, the um, wait staff, um, or the bride's father will do this. Um, or maybe somebody's gifting this to them, the tips to them, and that person will hand them out. Uh, and then this is a common question. Does the bride go on the honeymoon with her maiden or married name? Um, maiden, <laughs> if you are going right away, the answer is her maiden name. The bride uses her maiden name until she has legally changed it. First, the couple needs to get their official marriage certificate. This happens after the wedding. Usually uh, when they come home, most couples do this like right when they come home from their honeymoon, or if they're not going on a honeymoon, it can take about a week to get this document. Once they have it, 
The bride will use it to go to Social Security, DMV, change her name, uh, you know, health insurance, credit cards. But a professional officiant will know how to explain this and should provide the couple with how they file the license and how to get their official marriage certificate. So uh, I'm going to post the traditional flow of a ceremony on my Facebook page and my Instagram page. So check them out. Facebook is This Joyous Wedding Podcast. Instagram is This Joyous Podcast. And as we leave today, I would like to share what has become a very traditional bridal entrance song. It is the beautiful A Thousand Years by Christina Perry. Um, it's, it's really beautiful, very common. And uh, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks again for joining me today. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Do you have any questions? Uh, do you have any advice? Would you like to share your wedding story with, with me? Um, please email me at Andrea at thisjoyous.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-A at T-H-I-S-J-O-Y-O-U-S dot com to share on my next episode. Um, Thanks again. Peace, love, and be merry. Andrea.